This week on the Telltales, there's something strange in the neighborhood. Eh, who are you going to call? The Telltales are an underground bowling league who get together behind the chicken coop to smoke stolen cigarettes and discuss the infinitely improbable implications of an infinite improbability drive. And also we write fiction stories. Josh is really into very large rodents. I've seen him rubbing cheese on himself when he thinks nobody's looking. I wish I hadn't been looking. David is in the market for a good brand of brain soap or steel wool for his brain apparently. I recommend copious amounts of high-proof whiskey. Chris is not helping the situation. Pretty much ever. Today's tale was written by David Prysock and it is read by the author. It's called The Morning Tree and it is the third in our First Line Challenge stories. So sit back, pour yourself a tall glass of high-proof whiskey, and relax as we tell you a story. Beneath the old willow that mourns over my father's grave, when the moon is full and his headstone swims in a sea of fog, you may see her. I can never tell exactly when she'll visit our small homestead in the wilderness. I've tried to go and talk to her when she comes, but inevitably we both end up cross. I watch from a distance as she stands there and sobs quietly to herself. I can hear her mumbling something to father, but I can never make out the words, or even discern which language she's using. Word has gotten around town about a ghost woman crying on the hill outside of town. Sometimes the older kids try to sneak onto our land to see if the rumors are true. I don't know about ghosts, but I do know Claire. This is the story of how she changed our lives. A gentle rain fell outside while father and I cleaned up from dinner. He prepared the evening fire while I worked the washboard. The rain dripped in spots around the house. Father and I would need to do roof repairs again once the rain abated. I had almost finished the wash when a shadow caught the corner of my eye. Something had moved in the window at the back of the room. I couldn't be sure, but the movement of something past the window had drawn my eye. Father, I think someone is spying on us, I said. He dropped the poker and swiftly took up his musket from the corner. He peered out the back window, but there was nothing to be seen in the darkness. Stay there, he said. He walked to the door and pulled the latch. He cracked the door wide enough to look out on the front porch. Slowly, he drew his eye to the opening to look out the front door. Show yourself or vacate the premises, he yelled into the night. After a moment passed without a response, he closed the door, secured the latch, and put his musket back in its place. Your imagination is acting up again, son. I think it's time to retire. I was sure of what I saw, but it wasn't worth an argument. Besides, I was feeling tired. We settled into our beds in the corner of the room nearest the hearth, and I was nearly asleep when the storm kicked up. The house creaked and groaned. I could feel the wet spray of rainwater blowing in through cracks in the walls where the clay had worn away. Lightning flashed sporadically, illuminating the room. I began to fear another sighting of the mystery figure from before when suddenly there was a heavy knock on the door. Father leapt out of bed and grabbed his musket before turning to me. I sat up quickly, not knowing what to do. He turned to me and in a tone that was whispered but emphatic said, Stand behind the door. Unlatch it and open it slowly. Do not stand in the doorway. I obeyed and took my position behind the door. 
Father pointed the musket at the doorway as I slowly pulled the door open. What do you want? His tone was stern, but not threatening. The voice that came from outside spoke a language that I did not recognize, but it sounded frightened. Father's expression made a subtle shift from hardened to concerned. He glanced at me and nodded, indicating that it was safe to open the door fully. Into our home walked a tall, slender woman with silver skin and long, dark hair that hung from her head like wet vines. She appeared to be unclothed aside from a strange belt around her waist and large boots on her feet, but I quickly realized that her silver skin was actually a tight-fitting garment which covered her entire body. Her arms were raised in surrender. Father kept his musket trained on her and gestured for her to come further into the house. I closed the front door behind the strange woman. Where do you come from? Father asked. She replied with a garbled string of noises. There were bits and pieces which sounded familiar, but the accent was completely foreign and any recognizable language was lost in the wet, guttural pronunciation. She finished her statement, then closed her eyes and shook her head as if scolding herself. She then stared straight at the blank wall in front of her and began to make curious motions with her arms. She made a fist as if she were grabbing something, then jerked her arm to the side in a pantomime of discarding a bit of rubbish. Then with a flat palm facing away from her, she motioned upwards repeatedly. Finally, she used a single finger and pointed towards the wall in front of her. Father and I glanced at the wall to see whatever she could be indicating. We then looked at each other, and I'm certain that I was displaying the same perplexed expression. Please help. Father and I both jerked involuntarily, with eyes wide at the words which came from the stranger. Where do you come from, and why were you out there? said Father. The stranger glanced at my father, then back at the blank wall. She squinted slightly, and then slowly formed words. I became lost in the woods and found my way here. I come from a faraway place. I need food and shelter. Her eyes darted back and forth from the wall to my father as she spoke. Father hesitated for a moment as he looked her over, deciding whether she was a threat. You can stay here for the night and we'll decide what to do with you in the morning. Her shoulders sagged as the tension left her body. Father put his musket down and ordered me to prepare some of our leftover food for her. He retrieved a house dress from a storage box in the corner that I had forgotten about. It was one of Mother's old dresses and it still carried her scent. The woman did not take off what she was wearing other than her unusual belt, but instead donned the old dress over her silver attire. When she was finished dressing and had sat down in front of the meal I had prepared, she thanked Father and I for our hospitality. She introduced herself as Claire and did not provide a surname. Aside from that, she said nothing to us the rest of the evening. I had so many questions I wanted to ask her, but she did not appear interested in talking, and so I held my tongue. After dinner, Father switched out the bed dressing so that she could have his bed with fresh linens, while he took a spot on the floor between the beds. It took me a long time to fall asleep that night, despite feeling quite spent. I lay there staring at this strange woman in our home, wondering who she was and how she ended up lost in the woods. What language was she speaking? What was that strange silver material she wore? Her eyes remained open as she lied on her back staring at the ceiling, until finally her lids closed and her breathing became deep and regular. Even on that first night, I felt that she had changed the very course of our lives. The next morning, Claire informed us that she had been traveling east to start a new life in one of the big cities. Her family had been killed in a railroad accident and she was now left alone to fend for herself. Father offered to allow her to stay with us for as long as she needed before continuing on her journey. Something didn't sit well with me about her story, but I couldn't be sure of which part was untrue. Nevertheless, she seemed kind and trustworthy enough for us to allow her to stay. The first few days of her stay with us seemed difficult for her. Many basic household tasks and objects confused or frustrated her. 
She wanted to wash the clothes she was wearing when she arrived at our home, but when I explained how to use the washboard, she refused and seemed resigned to leave it unwashed for the time being. Father eventually trusted her enough to leave me alone with her after a couple of weeks and left to go hunting. I explained to her father's plans for bringing back meat for us and she was shocked at the very idea of hunting wild game. I was concerned we would not be able to provide food suitable to her preferences, but once the cooked meat was in front of her, she seemed to have no difficulty eating. Indeed, she seemed quite pleased and took a second helping. Weeks turned into months and it became clear that she had no intention of leaving our home. Father asked her about this much one day as she said that rural life was suiting her well and she'd rather not get mixed up in whatever happens in those big cities. Father seemed a bit suspicious about this change in plans, but he didn't question her further. I suspect that he had at this point already become quite fond of her. The day finally arrived for me to move into town to begin my apprenticeship with the blacksmith. Father and Claire took me into town and I boarded the train for Topeka. As the train pulled away from the platform, I watched through the steam of the engine as Father put his arm around Claire. I returned home that winter to see Father for Christmas. He had informed me by letter that there was important news to share when I arrived. I knew as soon as I read the letter what the news was, so it was no surprise to see a new ring on Claire's finger when they picked me up from the station. Although it had only been a few months since I had seen them last, they acted as if they had been together for ages. The once scared and anxious woman who appeared on our doorstep one rainy night was now a joyful burst of sunshine in our home. Seeing Father Joyful was a rare sight in the years since Mother's death, yet on more than one occasion I caught him smiling broadly as he watched Claire prepare a meal or tell a story. In fact, the whole home felt warmer since my last visit. It was not the decoration or the orderliness, it was the atmosphere. The house felt brighter, the air less dense. Our days became brighter with the passing of a cloud we hadn't even realized was there. All of that changed late one afternoon when a visitor came to the house. I was regaling Father and Claire with yet another story from my time as an apprentice blacksmith when a knock sounded from the front door. Father went to the window and looked through the curtains. Oh, it's Mr. Gray. He'll probably want to see our new barn. You two can start on dinner while I show him around. Father opened the door and stepped outside to greet the visitor. Hello, Mr. Gray. A good day to you as well. Mr. Gray's voice trailed off as Father closed the door behind him. I turned to Claire and saw that her eyes were wide and her skin was pale as the moon. Are you feeling all right? I asked. It's fine. It's just... Who's Mr. Gray? Claire asked me. He's from the Census Bureau. He comes around every so often to verify any changes in the population of people and livestock. He seems like an odd fellow, but decent enough. How long has he been doing this? asked Claire. Past few years, I think. Why do you ask? Curiosity, my dear. His voice sounded unusual. Do many people around here have that particular accent? Not really that I know of. It's one reason he seems odd to me. I just assumed he immigrated from some European country. Do you recognize it? Not exactly, but it does remind me of someone I used to know. Could you fetch me more kindling? I'd like to get this pot boiling for dinner. Yes, ma'am, I replied, and went outside to gather some kindling and a few pieces of firewood, wondering why Claire seemed so interested in Mr. Gray. When I came back inside, Claire was beginning to make dinner, but she hadn't made much progress yet. Along the edge of her collar, I caught a glimpse of the silver skin garment she once wore. I also noticed that her waist was wider and bulged in odd shapes under her apron. I wondered why she would be wearing her old clothes and belt. She had put those away a few weeks after she arrived and hadn't touched them since, as far as I knew. Claire, is everything all right? I asked. Yes, I'm fine. I like to get a nice fire going to combat this winter chill. Her hands were working quickly to prepare dinner and she seemed quite anxious. Is the cold the reason why you put on your old clothes? She stopped what she was doing and paced back and forth for a moment while she wiped her hands on her apron. She sat and put her face in her hands, then took in a deep breath before looking me straight in the eye. I'm going to tell you something I never told your father. I never wanted to tell you either, but I have reason to suspect that census man. 
I'm afraid he might not be who he claims. She paused for a moment and studied my face. When she saw that I was neither angry nor scared, she continued, It's very difficult to explain where I come from, but you could say that I used to be a sort of magician. There are many things I can do with this equipment, but chief among them is the ability to walk through solid objects. I have always used this gift to help others, but there are certain people who think that I'm dangerous and shouldn't be allowed to live. I suspect that Mr. Gray is one of the people tasked with hunting me down. What does your silver suit have to do with magic? How does it work? I would love to attempt an explanation, but I don't have time right now. I need to make sure my equipment is working. Claire looked at the wall above the fireplace and began moving her hands in random directions, much like she did the first night we met. Her frantic motions suggested that she was trying to focus on finding something. I wanted to help, but I didn't understand why she suspected Mr. Gray in particular. Mr. Gray's been coming here for years. What makes you think he's after you or that he'll even recognize you? I asked. He may not be who I fear, but the people who would want to hurt me tend to pose as government officials to appear trustworthy and justify their questions. Perhaps I'm being paranoid, but I'd like to at least be prepared. I had not wondered about her past since the first week she came to us. Suddenly everything was called into question. What else have you not told us? Did you lie about your family and how you came here? It's true that I lost my family and that I'm alone. Beyond that, the details are too difficult to explain. Besides, none of that matters now. My life is here with you and your father. I have found a greater sense of belonging than I have ever known before. Please remember that no matter where I came from, this is the only place I wanted to be for the rest of my days. I accepted the sincerity of her sentiments about our family, but I wasn't sure what to make of the vague allusions to her past, much less her supposed magical abilities. I was about to ask more questions when I heard Father's voice on the other side of the door. He opened it and walked in with Mr. Gray. I was just telling Mr. Gray about how Claire came to join our family. His voice trailed off as the eyes of Claire and Mr. Gray met. A palpable tension filled the room. Mr. Gray was a tall man with unusually large, dark eyes and a small, straight line for a mouth. His nose was flat against his wide face. He wore a wide, black, flat-brimmed hat and a long, dark trench coat, which his stick-thin frame did not appear to fill out completely. Mr. Gray gave Claire an icy stare as she stood as still as a statue. Mrs. Claire, is it? I'd like to have a word with you outside, said Mr. Gray. Do you two know each other? Father asked, perplexed as he looked back and forth between Claire and Mr. Gray. I've never met him before, but I'll willingly go outside, said Claire. Her tone was flat and her face was flushed with fear. She walked slowly towards the door, but Father stood in her path. Hold on a moment. What's going on here? Claire, darling, you look terrified. You don't have to talk to him. It's fine, dear. Please stay here, she said. Father's face was confused and alarmed. Mr. Gray, it's time for you to leave. You have what you came for. I really must insist that I have a word with Miss Claire, said Mr. Gray with a steely tone. It's really all right, dear, said Claire as she attempted to walk around Father. He stood his ground and held his arm out to prevent her from passing. I don't know what business you two have with each other, but it is in the past now. Leave now, Mr. Gray. Father turned to face Mr. Gray with Claire behind him. The man looked briefly at each individual in the room. His hand flashed across his body and into his coat where he pulled out a shiny silver device. It looked like a pistol, but the barrel was wide and short and there was a blue light glowing from its inner workings. No, cried Claire. It doesn't have to happen this way. Leave them alone or I'll go with you. It's too late for that. Mr. Gray pulled the trigger and a bolt of blue shot into Father's abdomen. It exited his back, pierced Claire's apron, and glanced off one of the devices on her belt, which began to spark and fizzle. Father fell backwards onto Claire, and his weight forced her to sit on the bed behind her. I reached for my father in desperation, but then drew back when Claire disappeared from underneath him. He was hovering over nothing for a moment, then suddenly dropped onto the bed, his legs hanging clumsily over the side. I started to go to him, but instead I turned towards Mr. Gray, whose weapon made a loud metallic click. 
Claire reappeared briefly in the corner behind Mr. Gray, then knocked over a pot as she jumped away and disappeared in midair. He fired another round in her direction and left a black scorch mark on the wall. An invisible force crashed into my side and knocked me to the floor behind the bed. As I was falling, another flash of blue lit up the room. I landed on my back and Claire had landed on top of me, flickering in and out of visibility. She disappeared completely again and I felt her weight lift off of me. I looked to Mr. Gray who was now standing above me and pointing his weapon down at my face. Show yourself and surrender and I'll consider letting the boy live. The gun suddenly jerked up and away from me before leaving his hand entirely. It twisted around in the air and when it stopped it was pointed at his temple. Claire suddenly appeared behind him with one arm wrapped around his neck and the other holding the gun to his head. We can both walk away from this alive, Claire. Put the gun down and come with me back to where you belong. It's too late for that. A blue line darted from the weapon through Mr. Gray's head and sizzled out on the wall above the fireplace. The man slumped to the floor and fell to the side. Claire looked from the body at her feet to father on the bed across the room. His body lay diagonally across one of the beds. She went over to him and looked over his wounds. Once she realized that he was gone, she held his face in her hands and began to weep. I looked at father lying there motionless, his eyes wide in horror and mouth agape. I could feel my chest tightening and tears welling in my eyes. Claire moved father's body fully onto the bed and closed his eyes and mouth. I sat on the bed next to her as she folded his hands over his chest. After a silent moment, she took me in her arms and held me close. I completely broke down and squeezed her tight as sobs shook my body. Our embrace was disturbed when she disappeared from my arms. She had leaned away from me and was now flashing in and out of visibility. The damaged box on her belt continued to shoot off sparks sporadically. The blue shot had left a charred hole in her dress, revealing the strange device. When I could see her face, it was clear that she was panicked. It was then that I realized that I was in danger of losing her on the same night I lost my father. What's happening to you? I asked her. This box and suit work together to allow me to disappear and reappear. Now that it's damaged, I can't consistently control whether I'm here or not. I'll have to take it off, but I don't know what will happen. I might be here as normal, I might be gone, or possibly somewhere in between. I didn't understand all of what she was talking about, but I understood enough to be concerned. She continued, I don't know if I'll be here when I take off this device, but know that I love you always. I will never forget your father's brave attempt to protect me. I will be eternally grateful to you both for giving me another family. She faded out again, but only partially. I didn't know what to say, so I hugged her once again, willing her to remain as I had always known her. Claire's body partially departed, and my arms contracted, hanging in the place where her intact form had been. My skin felt cool and tingly in the mist of her body. She looked down at what was happening to her, then stood up and backed away. She stared at me with tears in her eyes as if to say goodbye. The metal object on her belt sparked once more. She reached down and unlatched it from her belt, then disappeared. A moment later, she reappeared as a glowing outline of the form she once held. I could recognize her face as the dress she wore, but she was otherwise intangible. What happened? What does this mean? I asked her. Her mouth moved, but instead of discernible words, there were only breathy moans. She gestured and moved her arms emphatically as she attempted to speak. I told her that I couldn't understand anything. I began to tear up as I realized we may never be able to speak again. She seemed to have the same realization and slumped her shoulders. I watched as she turned and vanished through the front door. I saw her glowing form walk across the snow-covered field before disappearing into the fog. I buried my father on a crisp winter's morning. I buried my father after digging a grave with a rusty shovel and no help. I buried my father in a grave dug from frozen, hard earth. I buried my father alone, distraught, and scared. I buried my father on the hill by our home. I buried my father next to the willow where I used to climb and play as a child. 
I buried my father next to a tree described by so many to be perpetually weeping because I knew that a part of me would always be in mourning. I buried my father and moved on with my life. I had a luxury that Claire did not. She was displaced before she came to us, and now that father is gone and her magic has failed her, she is more displaced than ever. She's left to wander this earth with no one to help or comfort her. I can never tell exactly when she'll visit our small homestead in the wilderness. It's usually when the weather is at its most dreary. Word has gotten around town about a ghost woman crying on the hill outside of town. I don't know about ghosts, but I do know Claire. She was a ray of sunshine in my life, and now she lives in a darkness I cannot even imagine. She's a reminder to cherish the ones you hold dear. She's also a reminder of the death that waits for us all. If you ever feel that you take your life and family for granted, come to our homestead, to the hill out back, beneath the old willow that mourns over my father's grave. When the moon is full and his headstone swims in a sea of fog, you may see her. Except, really, it's not a ghost story. Ghost story. Don't don't ruin this for me. What if what if ghosts are really just uh, people with advanced technology that broke and they're stuck in between uh, reality? And now they're ghosts. Exactly. So what you're saying is the <laughs> the big <laughs> argument against time travel, which is if there was going to be time travel, we'd know about it because they would have time traveled back to see us and we would know about it right right the big argument is that when they come back they kind of become these ghosts yes ghosts yeah yeah that's that's pretty much pretty much the idea you you could say it's one possible explanation then why does the one who lives in chris's bathroom look exactly like his dead grandma chris you want to answer that why you gotta bring grandma into this man that's not cool how awkward is that every time you go to the bathroom grandma's sitting right there (laughs) <laughs> I'm happy to have her in my bathroom. Like, do you ever feel embarrassed after you eat Taco Bell? No. And you're like, no. Grandma, can you step out for a moment, David, please? No. And she's like, David, no. Lay I'm off my grandma. Lay off my grandma, man. Not cool. Too soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> it's only been like 20 years. Join us next week on the season one finale for Murder. This has been a production of The Telltales. Copyright for today's story belongs to David Prysock, so don't steal it or you'll never be heard from again, though you might be seen from time to time. The theme music is by the Flat Creek Kings. This week's podcast was sponsored by Afterlife Online Dating. She may be a ghost, but she'll always be your boo. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share on social media and leave us a review on iTunes. You can find us at telltaleswriting.com, on Facebook by searching Telltales Writing, on Twitter at at telltaleswrite, or on Instagram at telltaleswriting. If you did not enjoy this podcast, your complaint can be submitted by pressing that big red button right next to the airlock.
moral of today's story is never trust the census man.